0: Hello, and welcome to the second episode of This is HCD. My name is Jerry Scullion, and I'm a human center design practitioner based in Australia. In this episode, I caught up with Adrian Tan from Brainmates, where we discussed the roles of service design and the roles of product management and how they coincide, and how they also exist within the methodology itself. Some of you might recognize the name of Adrian Tan as she runs the Leading the Product Conference in Australia, Australia's biggest and best product management conference. Also joining in in the conversation is Martin Dowson, who's the head of design futures at Lloyds Bank in the UK. In this podcast, we get into the details of IP ownership of when engaging with service design, who does what as regards product management and service design, and the roles and the frameworks used by both product management and service design to deliver success. So let's jump straight in. Hello, uh, welcome to the This is HCD podcast. Um, today we've got Adrian Tan. Who is from BrainMates and is a product management consultant. Um, welcome to the podcast, Adrian Tan. Thanks, Jerry. No worries. We also have Martin Dowson uh, coming live from, from Edinburgh, actually. Um, Martin, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. It's good to be here.
0: No worries. And we also have Mark Katanzaridi um, from Telstra. Um, he's a service designer and he, um, like me, is a co organizer of this podcast. So welcome, Mark. Thank you. No worries. <laughs> So, Martin, tell us a little bit about yourself. How you managed to get into design leadership?
1: So, um, I actually started out doing computer science and artificial intelligence at university, um, and it was too hard. <laughs> so, I um, the maths was too hard, and socially it was pretty awkward. Yeah. Um, so, I, I switched over to psychology, which was my third subject, wow. um, and that and that's where I fell into human computer interaction and social psychology, and what? I majored on understanding the social reality of social media and this Mm -hmm. was kind of before 2000 um it, it led me into kind of ux research um usability testing eventually information architecture ux design and then when i was fed up fixing websites when the companies were broken um i got a bit of permission to kind of work out why companies were making such broken designs yeah um And then discovered that there was a whole orchestration layer underneath, um, you know, that was the business operating model. Um, Mm. And being at Accenture, I I got a really great chance to do a lot of organizational design and change management. Um, So I built up all these skills around organizational design, change management, UX research, UX design, information architecture, managing creative agencies. And it it wasn't until about three or four years later that I discovered that 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 is a pretty good skill set for something called a service designer. But I actually had experience doing organizational design, mm. just organizational design, just change management, just project management, right. and just UX. So the my broken comb is quite deep. <laughs> um, and what that then led me to was uh, actually getting in far more involved in conversations with, with organizations about how do we change to be what they called more customer-led uh, and what I understood to be more human-centered. Um, Mm. is if you say customer led the CFO gets scared the COO gets mm, okay Um, the CTO gets a little bit worried and only the chief marketing officer is excited Um, (laughs) but when you understand that designers actually care about problem solving in a way that gets sustainably delivered Mm. then you get into this conversation about being human centred, operationally excellent, financially rigorous Mm. because if you don't care about these things as a designer you're just an artist and your stuff gets in a gallery, so that's i it was these attitudes that led me towards um becoming more involved in design leadership, having consulted with a number of organizations on how to change
0: Adrian, tell us a little bit about yourself, um how you got into product management and maybe your involvement with service design as well
2: okay um okay, so I started my career in product management really. Even before I knew I was a product manager, um, I had a stint. Everybody has a stint at Telstra. But I had a stint at Telstra many, many years ago when they were building up their um, internet services. And at that stage I happened to be um, a billing manager managing um, all their internet billings essentially and their fraud department and their credit collections. But as part of that job I, was, I spent a lot of time building out their billing system and I loved it. I loved making stuff. I won't swear. I like making stuff. Um, And from then on you sort of, and that was in the 90s. Old. How old are you? I know. Really old. (laughs) Not that that old. That was in the 90s. And then, you know, you start to discover there's this role called product manager and you generally don't hear about it. I mean you do now but, you know, then it was kind of rare. And then I Moved to um, a company called Ostar as their group product manager to build out all their um, broadband mm-hmm. services mm-hmm. in the in the nineties, late nineties, early two thousand, yeah. um, and all their um, interactive television services. Mm. And our job was to you know build product, um, and as part of that though was to also make products successful. Mm. Um, So I started off quite early and then came the dot-com crash in Australia Um, and it was where you sort of honed your product management skills because at that stage when you ran out of money Mm. you had to find ways to, I culled a lot of services, culled a lot of services that weren't making money. Yeah. And then I spent time, um, you know, figuring out how to reduce the cost of delivery Of services. And so at that stage, we decommissioned a whole internet network right across Australia to outsource it to. um, at that stage, it probably doesn't exist anymore, a company called Comindico, where, um, where they had distributed it when they were wholesale providers. Okay. So from a customer's perspective, really, the brand stayed the same, the features and the functions pretty much stayed the same, but the underlying delivery platform for that service had to change. Okay. So hence, that's how I started my, uh, my product career, trying to find ways to make money, keep products alive
0: okay right, so so just going into the 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 thing you said about Ostar there we were calling a lot of services. What kind of frameworks back then were were in place for determining that this needs to be called like because people could have been using those services?
2: Oh, pe- oh, people were using those services um the fact the problem was that insufficient number of people were using those services, mm. so for us, it's you know in those days, it was a lot of strategic management principles. Nothing really is different to, um, there were no, there there were certainly no sort of blogs and tools and techniques that were readily available as they are today, Mm. where you can sort of read so much and figure out, Mm. well, where do I, what do I do? But you go back to first principles, you look at your, your, in my day, profit and loss and go, oh, look. You know, this service is costing me X number of dollars to run, and there's ten people on it. I can't. It's not sustainable. <laughs> I've got to. I've got to close it. Yeah. You know. Yes, yeah. I, I might make ten people unhappy, but I can't keep servicing ten people if it doesn't deliver any. Yeah. But, you know, so, so value to the business.
0: At that stage, you had product management. Um, it was like an emerging, even though we know it. It goes back further than that, but it was emerging probably in Australia at that stage. What role did you start seeing the human-centered design kind of practitioner or service designer? Um, and I'm using those roles interchangeably at the moment, but I'll get to that in a minute. But when did you start seeing service design emerge? And you know, you're started getting into meetings, and you're like, "Hey, this is uh, Dave, the service designer."
2: Um, well, I started to learn about service design probably around 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. So about ten. What is it now? Two thousand and seventeen. Yeah, about ten years ago. Ten years. <laughs> so ten, oh my god! Yeah, about ten <laughs> years ago. So I heard about, it. and so my first reaction was, oh gosh, this is very similar to what we do as product managers. Yeah. It wasn't. Oh my god! This is a revelation. Holy. Sh-. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> Oops. Um, you know, hey, I've got some new tools and techniques. Which we have over yeah. time built up this toolkit. That we could all use, service designers, product managers, UX people—that yeah. um, we can all pull from. But um, you know, very early days, like, hey, that's what I do. I would never put out a service without right. con- considering, you know, how customers engage with it before they buy it, till mm. how they um, leave our leave leave our, leave our product, leave our service.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um Adrian, like whenever you met that, that product designer, or the serv- I'm saying service design, actually, what what kind of uh, problems or what kind of things did you have to uncover to work better with them at that stage?
2: Um so, you know, very recently, probably about oh geez, three two, three years ago recently mm-hmm. in my lifetime, um you know, I was put in a situation um, at a government organisation where I was the only product manager amongst probably about 15 service designers. Nice. It's a
0: good nice. ratio. I'm like good that.
2: Ra- yes. And so, you know, at the early start or early part of this project, as a product manager, like, geez, what the hell am I supposed to do?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, when everybody's running out. Um, and doing a lot of research and coming back with insights and doing their analysis. So apart from following and observing and being a part of that research, you're thinking, well, what's my role in all of this? Um, And so it was a very poignant moment that you had to sit back and reflect and go, well, as a product manager, you know, Mm. what should I do? Um, And so my approach was, well, where are the gaps, you know, this is a pretty huge project. It was it was it wasn't to deliver a fully functioning service. It was mm. to deliver um, almost a prototype. So we didn't really need to establish good sort of development practices because we weren't delivering code. We weren't delivering a service that was usable. We were doing, de, you know, delivering a prototype to so It was like a
0: value proposition. You yeah. were trying to determine that?
2: Exactly, a prototype to substantiate the fact that the process of um, delivering product was a was a good yeah. one. So you had to go, well, how, how do where, where do I fit in? Okay. Um, and so the good thing was that you you know, and I've had fifteen twenty years of product management and not sort of be sort of bamboozled by the fact yeah. that there's fifteen service designers in a room. Yeah. There were clearly gaps that service designers at that stage, because they're all out in the field, didn't fill. And that was that sort of stakeholder management piece. And it was a huge government undertaking. And so So you could see.
0: Go on, I'm just going to say, talk about the stakeholder piece, because that's something that uh, I've heard this time and time again, but any of the service designers I've ever worked with always tend to have strong stakeholder skills because it's it's about selling your design in and Uh, and the vision.
2: it's not about at so that stage they had no vision. They had they were out there in the field and it wasn't that they were bad at stakeholder management, it was just that there was a gap that wasn't being done at that stage. So it was logical mm-hmm. that a product manager would fill the gap and that gap at that stage was, hey, this is the process that we're going through, you know, what are some of your requirements as a department, how do we communicate with you better so that we can share our learnings and insights to mitigate any sort of um, uncertainty you may have. Yeah,
0: because like, just, just hanging on this topic a little bit more because it's a really good springboard based on the talk that we gave last year at um, Product Talk Sydney. It's the, the, the broad kind of wide T uh, or the broken comb type skill set that product managers tend to have versus the deep T, which is uh, I tend to see more in service design where they're strong on the research and they're strong with the analytical skills and understanding the system thinking. So how did you derive, um, how did you find your path when you were working in with the 15 service designers? Like how, how did you, well, it's, was it a conversation or was it a workshop? No,
2: no, no workshop, no conversation. I think as a product manager, you're a, a leader in, in, in the team, I think. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was merely reflection and analysis, personal, uh, to say, well, where, where would I be best placed on this field and apart from that stakeholder piece, the other piece that I could play, which you, you know, because you see problems, your job is to solve problems as as a product person and as a service designer as well. But because these service designers are out in the field, it was mainly, well, I'm not in the field, I'm back in the office. Okay. Um, and so what are what's not being done um, and the piece, apart from the stakeholder piece, was that leadership piece as well, which was hey, you've got a ton of government departments, hmm. you know, that are all interested in this very high-profile project.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
2: And you could see that they, apart from trying to manage their concerns, you could see that at some points they would want to influence the process, that want to stop the process. So you had to essentially clear a pathway for your service designers so that they could do the jobs that they were meant to do.
1: It's a really valuable um, thing to be able to do for them. One of my reflections on um, on that is um, it sounds like there was a very um, particular type of service designer there and a particular type of role going on. Um, I've, I've heard over the years, over the last 10 years of being exposed to service design in the UK, really interesting perspectives from different clients on how they've used them. So I, this one chap who I knew, he said, he had the best service design agency in the UK working for him and he said I can't take them to the board because their ideas are too fluffy and I can't uh, I can't take their ideas and give them to my systems integrator because uh-huh. the outputs aren't understandable by the systems integrator so there was a a translation issue around uh-huh. the value they were adding to the problem solving which was definitely there um, but their experience as designers in being a part of a wider business problem, mm. and I thought that was really interesting at that time. But that was about now about nine years ago. Yeah. That um, that same agency now would would not recognise themselves in terms of their ability to actually do that mm. um, and bring people along. And what I f- my I, I wonder whether there's something that is depends how you want to use these skills as to how this whole thing fits together. So they sounded like they were out in the field a lot rather than facilitating things inside. And when I hear service designers in the UK, they talk to me about being end to end of the experience and front to back of the service. So their need to facilitate the conversations with stakeholders back at base would be as high as their need to go outside into the field. However, I find few and far service designers, few and far between service designers that can actually do that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, look I don't dis- we were in a very unusual situation um, you know we were all external suppliers working together in an unusual situation um, and so they were tasked with doing certain jobs and a lot of it was external facing um, and right. you know as a product manager when you when you're in a situation where you have 15 other people trying to do the same job you you try and look for other jobs to solve Yeah, um, and so that was definitely um, a, a gap that I could fill. Yeah.
0: Well, one of the big things for me Martin and just echoing what you're saying is uh, organisations first of all th- the culture may not be there to enable uh, service design to, to flourish so um, what you really need to understand and those organ- organisations need to understand is what Jared Spool spoke about at UX Scotland as well is it's not just design it's design plus product plus business it's the design feasibility and viability coming together to make a solution as a collaborative effort
1: yeah absolutely and um you know the the fact that actually the the there's some language things i think that aren't helpful when service design says we're we're end to end and front to back but when you think actually well hang on a second as a product manager I'm looking at the entire life cycle of this mm. and I'm actually going to touch it all the way along mm. all of the time Yeah. Um, because I'm actually mani- managing this product for the whole of its life. Um, so that's not to say that there isn't input from designers all the way along that, but a mm. product manager genuinely owning that all the way through. And that's a distinction that requires the organisation to have a maturity around as well, not just the design maturity, right?
2: And it requires a product manager to also have that maturity because sometimes we're so, you know, I look, I love product management and I love my product managers, but sometimes we forget. We think that product management is about making incremental features um, and putting things to market. So we only value the work that we do or are worth when we, when we think Add features and send it to market. We add more features and send it to market. Yeah. When in actual fact, we have more value to 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 give, and more skills to wield across that life cycle. And we often forget to go back to products that are currently in market and go, "Well, how is it performing?"
1: Yeah. So, Adrienne, in your um, in your experience, is there anything about the um, scale and complexity of the organisation that depends how much product managers are? Are siloed in any way um because I could I could imagine in a smaller organization there's just so much more that you would take on yes uh, but in a larger organization with you know this this product that I'm owning, but then there are others, and then there's a need to coordinate the experience across that how does how does that happen
2: um yes so absolutely there is um differences between a small and a large organisation and I know that I work with lots of product managers in banks and they're often very siloed Um, and I I think that you need strong product leadership skills to be able to um, drive that conversation um, and that set of activities to across that customer experience and often we forget to do that and we don't do that and you see that um, in, you know, in the products as consumers that we experience there's a lot of broken elements that yeah. bits and pieces don't hang together, and you can yeah. talk at it ends Telstra up very disjointed yeah, yeah. across you know the different different channels and different components and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, and it's very hard to bring that um, that again that leadership skills across mm. in organisations like Telstra because yeah. it's everybody's building bits and pieces in their own little workshop,
1: mm. and that's one of the areas where I wonder whether there's a maturity when you have a mature leader coming from product design, product management and when you have a mature leader coming from design that they can work very well together to do that orchestration
2: yes absolutely
1: um, whereas um you know that th- there are levels of experience within each of these areas right and I, actually very mature design leaders from a service design perspective to orchestrate large scale.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, in Australia, unfortunately, there is a lack of product leadership and there's a lack of design leadership at the upper echelons of -hmm. of organisations. There are a lot of sales and marketing and legal people that run businesses, primarily legal people. Yeah. um, And there are insufficient number of product people and designers essentially um, running organizations, and I think when you do have um, when you elevate your product and your your design people, I think you see a very different. You know, you see different products in market.
0: Yeah, just like going way back to a, um, a point that Martin made there earlier about working one of the best service design consultancies in uh, the UK. Now, in my experience, um, whenever businesses engage with consultancies how do we think that the the results change depending on an external consultancy working in uh, versus an internal service design um team are there di- are there different outputs
2: are you suggesting that um you know do we engage externally or do we um i was uh, so
0: saying like i think with service design consultancies as they engage in it's harder for them to get their their vision across the line and it re- requires more of a change management piece and requires more of Completely. a versus like an internal service design team. To me, uh, I don't know many internal service design teams that are championed and also that are celebrated for doing excellent work. It tends to be the, the bigger service design agencies like Fjord and and Meld and, and Australians. Which
2: is very sad that you have to outsource yeah. the heart of your product. Really? <laughs> so what,
0: what I'm really interested in, like the, the external consultancies can flourish because they've got their own culture and they're able to bring that culture in. And mm-hmm. it's like a cocoon, yeah. it's, it's sustained, it's a cocoon. But what I want to know is how can we, as, a, as an industry, um, implement and suggest change within organizations to enable service design and product management to flourish?
1: So, you know, the, just to build up on that external versus internal i have had uh experience running uh relationships with um uh a number of the large service design agencies inside um a number of large companies and the thing that stands out the agents the the best agencies' they are the ones who come in assuming that you're not gonna need them later
0: mm-hmm.
1: assuming that their job is to help you build that culture internally. And assuming that their role is to continually challenge that team once it's established, not challenge the rest of the organization Mm. um, continually. So it isn't actually their vision as the agency. It's helping you create your vision. And when they do that well, um, and obviously, Adrian, I, I, I deal with the service design agencies and the design agencies, but when they do that well, they already have a really solid understanding that, we, that product or engineering and design are going to have to work together super well. So who, whose
0: responsibility is it? Is it the service design consultancy working into the organization or is it the organization
1: themselves to bring the capability uplift? You, you need to know that that's what you're buying. If you buy external consultancy to do something for you and then realize you want to be able to do it yourself, you bought the wrong service. And they won't be ready to do it for you. And that's happened in a number of places I've been at and the agencies have been seen to fail um, because the contract they had was come in and do it for us. Yeah. The contract for coming in and help us build it is a totally different contract. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I agree. Um, Look, we're, we're consultants. So, you know, we, but for us, we're educators first and foremost, We advocate that you learn how to do this. We never, we tell our product people when we're in businesses, you cannot outsource your customer knowledge and insights. You cannot give that to an external organization. I mean, even though I do some of it, I want every product person I work with to do it as well. I mean, that's my job is to leave you with the capability and the know how on how to do it. That's. I, I think it's weird that I know more about your customer than you do. I yeah. I just find that odd.
0: Yeah, I, like I've worked with um, in parallel with some, some big agencies, and um, they would go away and do what businesses would call the customer centric design, and I'd request them to give me the the data as the ownership, and they refuse because like, and I understand there's there's an ethical reason there for it, but I would just get very very light touch uh, insights. Whereas whenever they exit the business, I was left with nothing. I was left with very like, you know, very light, fluffy kind of insights and the knowledge I mean taken out of the business that they paid for. So it's kind of hard.
2: Yes, I, I, I understand.
1: I've had agencies do that before. Yeah. And they, they, they've gone off and they've done the research and brought it into a vision workshop. And then I've said, oh, so who from the company was involved in that? And nobody that was in the workshop was involved. So it's kind of, yeah. So everybody in the workshop is starting again.
0: Yeah. And it almost like you need to have that uh, maturity to be able to stand up in the room and say, Well, actually, if you're coming in to do this research, we need to have, you know, 50% of our team part of that project or two people, whatever it is, just so that knowledge can be retained and the IP can be retained within the business.
2: And I think it's um a very, you know, you know, as much as we love to transfer information as consultants sometimes we don't even know what we know. So yeah. when you're sitting in research and you're listening and you're watching and you're in someone's home and you're watching how they behave, you know, you might be able to summarise that and provide, you know, as as, as a consultant a, a really good perspective what's going on, but you can never provide 100% of what you saw. You can't. Yeah. I, I mean, and I would I would be surprised for consultants that say they can because I think they're lying to themselves, but... And so you hold so much more knowledge that you try and transfer to your clients, but mm. you can only do so much. So we always say, come out with us, you know, it's a shared yeah. experience, um, shared knowledge, mm. and so that you can have that conversation. I can show you how to do it.
0: Yeah. So how do you get the culture in organisations to to be ready for that? Like what, what can we do? Like it's like, I'm working with a big um, fintech company here at the moment. They've got no product management and they've got no design. And I'm really interested in doing a capability uplift as regards design and product at the same time. Yeah. So um, what other things can organizations do who maybe they, they don't have a service design offering and they they maybe have project managers? So how, how do we get into that? I know there's a lot of eyes being rolled, but that's that's a, that's the problem that service designers have. Like they're like, okay, there's a product owner and there's a service owner and then there's a project manager and there's a product manager and then you've be brought into the business and you're like, hey, I'm the service designer and, you know, I don't really understand the difference between a service owner and a product owner.
2: Okay, I, I think for, for a start, one thing that I think and I think addresses, you know, the topic of how service designers and product managers work together, um, there is so much work to do. You know, and most times we're not doing it, so don't fight for work. Like don't feel like you're taking on each other's work. Don't feel like you're stepping on each other's toes. I think it's an important thing to do. Have that conversation, you know, what is it that, y- you know, y- you can do, want to do, excel at and vice versa. Because certainly that's crossover but any mature kind of team should be able to have that conversation and say, hey, um, I'm going to go out and do some research these you know this is the steps that I'm going to take. Here's the insights I'm going to bring for, um, back. How might we use that? You know, as a product manager, I'd love to have a service designer as part of my team because mm. there's there's just so much work to do. Yeah, um, and so many people to tell stories to and bring across the line. Yeah, um, and so so I want to address that first. But the other point that you bring, well, how do we lift the maturity of organizations? Mm. I'm a big believer in doing small things often. I hate the whole transformation, big project, mm-hmm. Da da let me write you a process and, you know, although companies buy that from us and let's, you know, bring the key stake executive sponsor and let's take them all on this journey. I just find that they fail so often. It sits in a like, box sometimes. Oh, my God. And they,
0: It doesn't really you get You know, installed. as a yeah.
2: consultant, you don't want your work to sit in a box. So what yeah. I like to do and what I think people sh- companies should do is to start small. So I would go, well, what's the first thing we can do as a team to change some yeah. of our behaviour? Exactly. And it could be what you said, you, which is what you're doing. Well, we're going to do some rapid prototyping. When we do that, we're going to take that we're going to make this and then we're going to put it out and we're going to test it and see whether people buy it use it.
0: Yeah.
2: And you start to do that and, and as you start to, you know, incrementally go up the chain to make mm-hmm. that change, then you have that kind of transformation yeah. that you've brought everybody along the journey you didn't have to reveal something big yeah um and you've got output and hopefully good outcome out of that
0: yeah so i guess it goes down to the the type of engagement you have with your clients and if you've got an ongoing engagement versus a short
2: yeah. engagement
0: short you kind of have to yeah. you kind of have to be like the dancing monkey kind of like hey we're going to do all this kind of cool stuff and then you're gone and then the culture kind of swallows back up the work that you've done the long-term engagements like that goes on for a year or two years as a coaching and a mentoring to help that team flourish is seems to be a better fit for a lot of businesses that I've worked with um, what are your thoughts on that
1: Martin as well yeah I agree I agree the but you if you're going to get into that long-term relationship and that way of working then you need to know that you've got the coaching and mentoring skills in-house mm. um as a, as a provider because that is a service in itself yeah. and and I have found that you know, some of your best people, as as uh, agencies, just want to do really great work. Um, and I may personally be somebody who believes that really great work is enabling others to be able to do what I do. Mm-hmm. But that, that that might not be some of your best people's um, views. So you need to invest in a in a a layer of people who are able to explain what they do and teach what they do and care about doing that. If that's the approach that you're going to take. Um, And I think it's a a skill that um, uh, clients and I I definitely think for a lot of the organisations I've worked with don't know to ask for in the design space. Really interestingly, we'll buy agile coaches
2: (laughs) by the hundreds. I know.
1: Right? But that industry, that skill area have done a really good job of saying, do you know what? You need to coach this stuff in. Yes, Um, they've done really well. The design the design side hasn't really done that.
2: Or oh, well, the product management side hasn't done that either because what happens is if you get a job as a product manager, well, hey, guess what? You come apparently with tons and tons of education and learning and skill that you don't need, uh, you know, any support or uplift in your capability. You're there.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think there's something in the, um. so, you know, where I am uh, currently at Lloyds Bank, um, we've got some really really experienced and some awesome service designers. And um, what I see them doing every day is is teaching and demonstrating yeah. by example, bringing people along, um, spending a lot of time actually recording what they're doing so that they can retell how they're doing things. Um, the video and recording. And, yep, subtly yeah. and slowly and sometimes explicitly um, just teaching. Um, mm. as well as obviously getting the outputs done as well um and uh, and i think that's a great recipe for success but it requires you to um it requires you to take the attitude as a designer and i don't think it's exclusive to service designers but all designers that um you know i i'm here to support a, a set of outcomes uh, and objectives i'm here to yes provide the human centeredness <clears throat> i also need to care about the fact that the product manager is going to need this to be operationally excellent and financially rigorous as well. Mm. Um, um, But this product manager and this product management team that I'm dealing with, they have to live with this and keep running it. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of things you want to transfer as skills into the running of the business and then move on and focus on the next part of the business that needs your help. And that's a very different attitude. And I think if service design can, can do that, then, will find that product management and service design can coexist beautifully, but you will find that you're you're not necessarily doing the same thing for product management teams all the time because they will have learned from you, uh, and the rest of the business will have learned from you as well.
2: I I do want to make a point though um, that it's not you know as a product person I don't expect, and I probably don't want you to transfer your vision mm. to me. As a product manager, you know I see myself as a composer, so I come up with that vision. Um, I, I a conductor. I manage the cadence of the team. Um, a translator. I can talk to service designers, engineers, executive people. You know, with with oh. my you know my finance knowledge. So I wouldn't see it as hey, you've done all this great work. Transfer that vision to me, and I'll run with it. I would see it more as a partnership
0: yeah.
2: uh, where we talk about, we visual we, we visionise, yeah. it's a new word anyway, uh, <laughs> together um, because as a product person I should have a perspective,
0: mm-hmm.
2: a North Star of where I want to take this product.
0: Yeah. Well, I know um, Andy Plain who uh, wrote the service design book is in Australia as well. He's He's got a really strong analogy. Of service design being um, a lot like the movie industry, where the you've got the producer, you know, funds the projects and stuff. You, when you say that the conductor is the product manager, I think many people in the service design industry would probably challenge that, mm-hmm. um, because I, I don't see anyone as being the, the the sort of conductor or the director of a movie, using Andy Blaine's analogy.
2: But there are there are directors of movies. You need a director. But what happens whenever,
0: like, you've got a product manager in an organisation who's within one vertical and the service spans more than one vertical and it goes across and you've got four different product managers? How, how does that work?
2: Um, well, hopefully you have, like, a portfolio manager. You have a general manager that should have that broader view, that broader perspective. Yeah. Um,
0: but that's where service design tends to, like, see themselves playing been able to see that sort of macro Great. view and that,
2: and and we would would value all the input and insights and information and the conversation. But still, as a product manager, you have to you you know you live with this. This is something that you not only produce and put out in market, but you nurture it when it's in market and to a point where you know you retire it. You know there is that life cycle piece. We have to stay with, we, we our job is to stay with that product. And to extract as much value, uh, well, deliver as much value to our customers, and extract it sufficient for our business, and and um, make sure that we drive a return on investment for for our business. So, you know, we stay with it. So we have to have that vision. We can't outsource that vision to somebody else.
1: Yeah, and I don't, I don't think that the orchestrating across products is outsourcing your vision. So. Um, so the, the, I think the challenge is with, with the word product is a singular word. Yeah. Um, and it's also a word that elicits uh, a tangible thing. Um, and the the difference with the... So what I was talking about this before, the difference between service design as the design of services um, versus the, um, the idea of service design being a human-centered design discipline. Mm. If what you seek is to be able to do more human-centered design across your products uh, that you get out to market. That is one thing. But If you genuinely as an organization want to design for services, then you need some orchestration. Because what you'll tend to do is you will tend to look at products as the suite of things that come together to uh, make an end-to-end service. Um, And sometimes product and service overlap directly, but they Mm -hmm. don't always Mm-hmm. And and I swear, Jerry's right, that, that it's quite easy for um, service design to see itself as having that orchestrating view. What I do notice and observe, though, is that user experience, uh, people say the same thing. Engineers say the same thing. Product managers say the same thing. Um, everybody within their discipline regards themselves as needing to have the strategic pen.
2: Yes, I agree. Which is
1: interesting, isn't it? Because you can't all have the strategic pen.
2: No, yeah. you're right. You're right. And but and that's why I preface it by saying that it's a partnership. I never I, uh, look. I don't think that. Exactly. Um, I don't. I don't. I think it's dangerous to say that you know it's mine only. There is, as I said, there's lots of work to do. There's no need to fight over the work. But at some point, there is a an accountability. Yeah. Um. and that you are measured against something you should be anyway. I mean, otherwise
1: yeah, absolutely. we don't
2: know whether you're successful so, or not.
1: There's a need to be more, uh, to make sure that there is more engagement of design in the strategic direction and the elicitation of strategy in an organization. And I say involvement of very often highest level strategy in organizations is is pretty much MBA uh, McKinsey style consulting. Mm. Um. And then as product managers and designers, we all receive a wisdom of a portfolio um, that the business has decided to to articulate out. Um, Now, when you have uh, more design orientation around that strategy, then what you end up with is a portfolio that is more balanced around customer, around human-centeredness, operational excellence, and financial rigor that then allows for a much better conversation about how are we going to drive this portfolio out through product management yeah and then i think there is a very very different level of design activity there where it is where everything you've described adrian uh, adrian is 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 in place where you know um there is plenty of work to be done and there is plenty of roles to take up and sometimes those that you know service designers or designers can help teams augment their skills and then skills and then walk away not vision right skills and then walk away um or sometimes they can fulfill specific roles that the team would like them to fulfill
0: Mm -hmm. okay adrian so we're coming to the end of the podcast here um what advice or what thoughts do you have on how service design and product management can work better together
2: Before two halves get together, before they embark on any project essentially, I think it's important for um, the service designer and a product manager to discuss, um, to establish a process for discovery and design. I think both groups generally have their own processes, so it's important that both get together and talk about how they might Discover the customer problems and design a solution that solves those problems. Mm. Um, Important for the group to also establish some work principles, what they'll do and what they won't do. Um, And, you know, from a a strategy point of view, this is something that Martin brought up earlier, it's, it's important that each group has their own strategy. I mean, a product strategy is a little bit different to a service design strategy and ultimately strategy is about Um, overcoming a challenge, solving a problem, um, beating the competitor. Um, And I think it's not incorrect if both parties have their own strategy. Um, It's a different approach, but ultimately both groups need to solve the same problem and achieve the same goal. And I think that's what the strategy helps us do. Okay.
0: So there we have it, a great conversation between Adrienne, myself, Mark and Martin Dowson from Lloyds Bank in the UK. Thanks for joining us. We've got Chris Thalwell coming up for the next uh, episode where we'll be discussing how to design and how to build human-centered design teams for success. If you want to join in in the conversation to help shape that podcast, get involved by joining the Slack channel. Um, You can learn more about how to do this by going to thisishcd.com. And um, hopefully we'll be able to discuss a little bit more about what you'd like to hear in that podcast. Also, if you want to ask some questions about this podcast, feel free to do so at the Slack channel as well. Thanks. See you again soon.